You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. So in the previous episode, I did the state of the market on Denver for quarter three, 2020. So on this one, I'm excited to say that we're actually doing a very similar presentation on the state of the market for Colorado Springs, uh, quarter three, 2020. So give you a quick backstory on here and the reason why we are actually talking about the Springs and you'll see a lot more content as well with the Springs is obviously it's a good market to invest in, but a couple months ago, I'm sure many of you saw the email or I did a, released a podcast about us expanding and we were looking for a few more agents to expand here. Initially in the Denver market, uh, but fortunately, just a phenomenal agent and investor as well from the Colorado, uh, from Colorado Springs reached out. And after we got chatting, realized it was just a phenomenal fit for us to partner up on. So that agent and my guest today is Jenny Bayless. Jenny, how's it going? Great. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'm really excited to join the team. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be a fun, fun, fun ride. So quick, uh, quick about you, Jenny. And if I butcher it, feel free to correct me on here. Um, but Jenny, you own about eight rental properties right now, right? Right. So she's similar mindset to what we talk about in the podcast, very much long term investing, buy and hold rentals. Uh, she's investing for at least a few years now. Great thing is she's, you know, completed a burr property down there in the Springs. She's uh, bought deals through the MLS, through wholesaling, through networking, even has a FISBO in there, and has also got some different financing sources for taking down properties as well. So lots of experience as an investor. And now after you start investing, then you got your license like a year or two later, right? Yep, exactly. So now I'm, now I'm an agent and hoping to expand and help everyone down there. Yeah. And so uh, investor turned agent. So, you know, that's always a, a great skill set, my mindset. And then also she, uh, her professional job before she became an investor and agent was actually as a CPA. So she got the analytical mindset as well, which is, as you guys know, just great for analyzing deals, uh, looking at data. So it's like I said, just overall a great fit for us to partner up on. And so we're going to go through the state of the market here for Colorado Springs. And then uh, I think for the next three or four episodes after this, we're going to do a couple of deal analyses as well. One on a multifamily, one on a house hack, one on a single family rental, I think we're going to do a case study on one of your Burr properties you took down, right? Right. So it'll be four, it'll be four episodes after this as well. So we're going to kind of do a, a, a mini blitz on Colorado Springs. And then as we get feedback and do this, we're going to be doing more content in the future in the spring. So as you listen to this, listen to what questions you have, what you like, what information you want to know. Because a big part of this, as Jenny and I started working together, she was going to, you know, she started explaining things to me about the Colorado Springs market. Because I know the very high-level data, but nothing like I do up here in Denver. And I realized, you know, a few minutes in us talking, I said, you know what, let's just time out on this. Let's go one step forward. Let's take some of the the, the presentations we have, plug in the Colorado Springs it is so she can present it to me. I want to ask questions. And the questions I ask, I think is pretty much what the other questions our listeners will have as well. So we're going to dive into it. Um, so what we're going to talk about in the state of the market, um, we're going to talk about, Jenny, what? Overview of the Colorado Springs market, some market trends, rent trends, uh, how you underwrite properties in there, is it a good time to buy, some opportunities and tips, and just some long-term considerations, right? Right. All right. So um, if you guys, we're going to you know touch on some numbers, some points on here. Obviously, we're going to talk all the details in the podcast. If you want uh, to see the screenshots or bullet points or data points, click on the show notes, and there will be a link on there, the blog post. 
and the PowerPoint slides and all the data will be on there as well. All right, Jenny. So like a lot of people, I know Denver really well. I know this Colorado Springs market very little. So where do we start? Why, what's intriguing about the Springs? What's the overall market overview? So I think that the first thing to touch upon regarding the Colorado Springs market is that it has a really strong economy. And I think a lot of people in Denver might not necessarily know what it has to offer. So I think it would be helpful if we kind of dive in and talk about that. So the first part that I wanted to talk about was the defense industry down there. Um, very, very strong. There's several bases. They have Peterson, Schriever, Fort Carson. All those bases have really limited on base housing or none at all. And then they also have Air Force Academy and it's the current home of Space Force. So just a huge defense industry uh, presence down there. Um, and with that being said, there's a really good opportunity to be able to provide rental housing to military members because a lot of them don't wish to buy when they're only gonna be here for a couple of years. So it's mm. really good tenant base down there. Um, and then the next thing that I wanted to talk about is that not only does it have a strong defense presence, but it also has a strong commercial presence. There's a lot of technology companies moving in down there, similar to how- Are the, you guys seeing like a similar flood to what we're seeing up here? Exactly. Really? Okay. Yep. And then, you know- Is there like a, a, a pocket down there, a corridor, or are they just moving all over? Um, usually in the Northern part of Colorado Springs is where you're gonna see a lot of the technology companies moving okay. in. Um, so that is a good way to diversify the economy right there. And then lastly, I think what everyone probably thinks of when they think of Colorado Springs is the tourism aspect. There's so many beautiful landmarks, Pikes Peak, Garden of the Gods, so many trails. Um, so that brings in a lot of revenue. And it also brings in a lot of people that when they come here, they think, I really want to live here. So that's, it's kind of twofold benefit for that. Yeah. So it's having a lot of the same benefits as Denver, it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. Um, cause I know something we know we talk about, cause you know, you go, you know, you rewind Denver's history and, you know, decades and decades ago, it was very much an, an oil town, cow town, and now it's a very, very well diversified economy. And it seems like Colorado Springs has followed a similar trajectory. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. So what are we going to slide here? Why invest in Colorado Springs? You got some bullet points up here, some pretty impressive rankings. Yeah, so I think a lot of people are starting to um, finally take notice of Colorado Springs being an awesome place to live, work, um, just a great place to be. So it's consistently ranking high on um, desirable places to live um, and even some real estate related rankings such as um, hottest housing markets, fastest rent growth. So it has a lot of things going for it um, in terms of both, you know, um, lifestyle and economics. Yeah. And I mean, I know you guys can't see the PowerPoint slide here, but she's got uh, quite a few bullet points with just you know, these rankings. And a lot of it's very similar to stuff we see for like Denver or Aurora, just, hey, number one here, number five here, number six here, just lots of good headline rankings, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say. Um, when did you move to the Springs? Um, so we actually moved uh, in March of 2020. We used to live up in Parker. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you just moved down there, but you've been investing in that for a few years. Correct. Yep. Just because you like the metrics down there better than Denver? Yep. Oh, mm -hmm. interesting. Yep. And my husband works in the Springs and I okay. was working up in Denver, so. Oh, so he was commuting down there anyway. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so that's even, I did not know that. Yeah. I, I thought you, okay. <laughs> so give us some, uh, we took a screenshot from one of the uh, Your Castle Trends Packets. As you know, I guess see the, the Denver Trends Packets, they create one as well for Colorado Springs for the market down there. 
So give us the high-level points on this, Jenny. Sure. So I think probably the main thing that we wanted to point out for this is that, um, you know, there's a lot of questions about how is Colorado Springs doing as a market? And in fact, um, it's doing just as well as Denver. Um, it appreciated 7% between last year and this year, which um, is astronomical, I think. Yep. Um, and personally, we've seen for some of our properties, because we invest in, in some of the smaller smaller homes, um, over 10% a year for the past couple of years. So, And it seems, like, you know, again, I, I've looked at very high-level data for like, uh, you know, uh, Springs, Pueblo, up north. And it seems like, you know, Denver is kind of like, I'll say the front of the tennis ball or, you know, the front of the trends. And then the Springs and Pueblo and other markets tend to be like kind of a year or two behind as looking at charts and growth. Is that kind of right? I think so. Just, I kind of thinking think of it as a different magnitude. Okay. I feel like it has the same trends as Denver is just on a smaller scale, which makes sense because it's a smaller city right now. So what do you know what the population is? Oh, I don't. I, I know it's the second most populous in Colorado. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Over 100K for sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what we're looking at now on the slides you put together is just um, comparing sales prices. We got Pueblo, Denver Metro, and Colorado Springs. So... Do your best to explain graphs over a podcast <laughs> because I'm going to put that hot potato on your, your lap, Jenny. Okay. So for those of you that aren't watching the YouTube, um, really the best way of explaining this is uh, this graph depicts um, compounded annual rate of growth since the mid-1980s. And what is CARG? So it's basically taking the rate of growth, but then taking out um, things like uh, inflation and all those extraneous factors to give you a more straight-lined answer as to what is the actual rate of growth for, for these markets. Um, Great explanation. Oh, thank you. Um, so basically what we can see from here is that um, overall Denver is showing at 4.7%. And this is from what, 1985 to 2018, 2020, mm -hmm. over that 35-year yeah. period? A good chunk of time to to really analyze it, and Colorado Springs is at three point nine percent. So it's honestly not that different, yep. in my opinion. And then Pueblo, just out of curiosity, is at three point seven. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, as you said, so this is really taken in all you know, you know, probably mostly appreciation and cash flow from rental properties. Is that what it, or is it mostly just a, a, like price gain? Do you know? Price, yeah. Okay. And so this is actually taking out the inflation though. Right. So these are real gains. Mm -hmm. So you're talking basically uh, about a 4% gain over inflation and in prices for Springs and, you know, upper fours for Denver is what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are great returns. Yeah. Then when you factor in cash flow and debt paid and all the other stuff, they go up from there. Yeah. <laughs> and if you guys want to see these charts, uh, we'll have uh, these charts on the the uh, the blog post, or if you want the full trends packet, email me or email Jenny. We can email the PDF as well because there's you know probably about forty slides in that or so. It was pretty it's, lengthy. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very data data centric. So talking about here price appreciation of Denver homes and Denver condos compared to Colorado Springs homes and condos. So we're looking at from 2010 to 2020, and so obviously. Both Den and we'll start with the Denver home side. So Denver homes in 2010, they were like high twos. Um, so this was right after, you know, kind of like the bottom of the market. And now we've just seen a very, you know, like a 45 degree line going up. 
Um, in 2020, we're at just north of 500,000. So the Springs has a very similar kind of trajectory. Actually started going about a year or two later after Denver, but had gone up and they started, what, in the low, just above 200,000, and now they're in the high threes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And for Denver condos, they started around the 150s in 2010. Now they're at the 350 range. And Collar Springs were at like just below 150. So looks like maybe about like 20 grand less than Denver was back in 2010. And now Collar Springs are at around 250. So both have seen very good appreciation. Yeah. And I mean, any, this is on a slide here, but you know, I talked about this a lot of times with my clients on the podcast is just, hey, is Denver in a bubble? And I go back to, you know, basically it's no. <laughs> what is the Springs? I mean, I think I know the answer, but I want to ask you since you know the data better than I do. In my opinion, uh, you know, I'm not an economist. I'm not a fortune teller, but I, I honestly don't think so. Yeah. But I mean, you're, re- you're doing cash out refis right now and looking to buy more rentals, right? I have a ton of faith that Colorado Springs will continue to grow in the same rate. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is a slide that is actually the, the same slide, but the Colorado Springs data for what we talked about, or I talked about in the Denver state of the market uh, on the previous episode, where it shows the buyer's market, a balanced market and seller's market compared to months of inventory um, for single family properties. So I think in Denver, we were at like 1.1 months of inventory as of the first week of July. And Colorado Springs is the exact same 1.1 months worth of inventory. So looking at the slide here, it basically mirrors a lot of what we see in Denver, where, you know, the last handful of years, again, starting a couple years later than Denver did, but basically now you're, the Springs has been an extreme seller's market. I mean, you've been bounced around between one to two months of inventory since 2017. So condos even lower inventory, huh? Yep. Yeah, what's the condo scene like down in the, in, in the springs? Because I know we buy a lot of condos up here for, for as you know, for a lot of cash flow stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, do you invest in condos down there or have you? I don't have any condos. I only own single family homes. Okay. There are not a lot of condos down in the springs. Okay. Um, I will say that. Interesting. Yeah. And is there like a, a bunch of like new apartment buildings going down there like we have them in Denver? They're starting okay. to. So if you drive down, like especially near downtown Colorado Springs at this point, you'll see a lot of newer, um, you know, the amenity filled type apartment buildings going like the up. Like Class A stuff? Mm-hmm. And that's it, but they're just, that's the whole building's being built for just rentals, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And it's very recent. Yeah. Do you know what those cap rates are going for? I have no idea. Okay. I know the ones in Denver, they're like four-ish cap rates. Yeah. They, they, at least pre-COVID and this like a year or two ago. But I mean, that, that was Wall Street money. Yeah. They borrow for a lot cheaper than we can. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So I'm interested in this. So talk to us about the rent trends because this has been obviously, you know, a very hot topic with COVID. Yeah. And we've been doing up here in Denver the, the monthly PM updates. What's going on with rents overall, the, the rent trends and the COVID rent trends in the springs? Okay. So I would say that it's, on par with Denver. Um, I personally, I was really worried also um, to see kind of how COVID impacted everything. Um, But they actually just released the Apartment Association's um, Q2 2020 report. And they mentioned that vacancy rates were only 4.5%. Oh, wow. It's lower than Denver. Slower. And the with the caveat of that buildings with zero to eight units have a vacancy rate of 0%. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of digging into my own personal portfolio, I 
would almost agree with that. And you have all single family, like detached single families, right? Detached single family homes. They're in very high demand because people like their own space, especially during COVID times. um, People really like their own space. Um, So, you know, my tenants, they tend to either renew year after year or if they are going to turn over, I can get a new tenant in there within a day or two of the previous tenant leaving. So, you know, in essence, our vacancy rate is about 0% also. And you self-manage your properties, right? I self-manage. Yeah. I'm really on top of being efficient in that regard. But, I mean, you can pretty much rely on a low vacancy rate. Probably not zero, but... Well, I've noticed for, you know, I, as people know, I, I don't self-manage my properties. I've noticed people that self-manage and they're very on top of things like you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're at like a 0 to 1% vacancy. And people with property management, I think they're, you know, I'm, I'm probably more like a, I don't know, little higher than that for sure, but I think it just comes down to like, you know, you're, you're way on more top of it than I would be. And it's your, your, your own asset. Um, what about like, um, rental rate increases? Because, you know, it was interesting what we saw in Denver, because according to property managers, and these are like, I, I say the, the mom and pop property managers are the people that manage the properties for like people like us. Hey, cool. We own a few rentals. You're not big institutional investors. We're not doing the big apartment buildings. They're saying, you know, rents are staying, you know, basically like, hey, they stay kind of flat for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then now once things started opening up back in like mid-May, they started seeing rents increase some. Um, they're like, hey, we're going to continue to do our, our 2% bump or whatever it is, you know, $10, $20 bumps. And they're, they're getting those bumps. But the uh, apartment association data from Denver actually showed for the, the big buildings, their rents dropped, I think, like $30 year over year. What what are you seeing from like the small stuff and the big stuff in the springs? So, um, or do you know? Yeah, so our uh, apartment association down there, they actually did show a two percent rent increase mm. um, from last quarter. So quarter two nineteen to quarter two, I believe is quarter, it year over year or previous quarter quarter one okay. twenty twenty to quarter two twenty twenty was the two percent, and then four percent was the data that I found from year over year. Okay, so that's you know, so both are positive. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what about your own rentals? Um, I have been increasing the rents uh, for those that are currently in my units that want to stay. If I feel as though the rents that they're currently paying are market rate, I won't raise it or it'll just be a nominal couple dollar a month. Um, but when I get a turnover, I will raise it to market rents. And in one case, I was able to raise it $200 um, from the previous tenant. Is that because the rents just jumped up that much the market or are you just under under market rent that much? Both. Okay. I was very under market rent. She was a wonderful tenant. I stayed there for several years. Um, and then, yeah, the market dictated a, a rent increase. And honestly, we probably could have asked for a little bit more based on where it was located. But So what did your rents go from, like, from to two on that unit? 1180 to 1400 Wow. Okay. So you got... 220 on that mm-hmm. bump. That's a big jump. Yeah. Um, and what about like renters not paying rent? I know if you've got any of that. I, I only got that data from like actually talking to property managers for like how many people were gaming the system. I didn't dig through the the apartment social data for that yet, but are you do you have a feel for that down the springs? Um so I found a I found a um article online uh out of out of the Gazette, which is a, a news source down down the springs. And they said that only 5% of renters were delinquent. And they made no mention of of those that were delinquent who actually has not fully not paid. Yeah. Um, for our personal portfolio, we had 100% collection. Nice. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, in your portfolio, I mean, 
Do you have any Section 8 renters or military renters? Yes and yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that that probably helps a lot. Yeah. But, well, I'm curious, like yeah. how many, like what, out of the, like you said, eight properties out of that, how many are, are Section 8 renters? Only asking? one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we actually bought the house and her and her family were living in it and they're great tenants and we've been with them for three years now. And the Section 8 down there paying pretty much market rent? Because mm-hmm. that's one of the next things up here is where they're getting market rent. You know, all day long, Aurora and Denver. Yes, yeah, so you're getting market market rent. rent so there's no reason not to, to not to go with it. Yeah, yeah, it's been wonderful for everyone. Nice. Yeah. I know the government direct deposits every <laughs> month, huh? So mortgage rates. I know this is basically the same slide we had in my presentation a few days ago, but I mean, you're. Let's talk about something if we can. Your personal stuff. I know you're doing a handful of cash out refis. Mm-hmm. Do you mind kind of sharing? what you've seen down there as far as like the interest rate in your cash out refi and just kind of like the spread. Hey, I bought it here for this amount and now two, three, four years later, I'm cashing out this much. Sure, no you problem. Can some context on there? Absolutely. So the first property that we're doing a cash out refinance, we bought in 2016. Um, and I believe our interest rate right now is 4.875. Um, we had, oh gosh, I think the loan is right about 130 for that. It appraised for... 240. Okay. And we're um, able to get 75% LTV at a 3.75%. And these are like 30 year conventional fixed? 30 year fixed, fixed yes. Okay. Um, then our second property we bought in late 2017 for one, I believe it was 160, and it appraised for 245. Um, same rate structure for both. And then the last one we just got appraised. Um, we just got our appraisal back at two thirty. We bought it for one fourteen. Wow. Yeah. Um, was that like? A, did you big value add or just? We did. Okay. We did a big value add, but um, we actually did it while the tenant was living in there. Um, she was really amenable to it, so it worked out really well. There's been no vacancy. Been able to fully rehab the entire property. Wow. <laughs> yeah, including flooring. Flooring and paint, even. Yeah, we'll give her a nice Amazon gift card. Yes, for, exactly. For that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, again, same thing we talked about. You know, I, I harped on the last presentation. So, I mean, interest rates are interest rates. They're going to be about the same in the Springs versus Denver. So, just very low right now. So, good to buy and good to refi. Exactly. Yeah. So, this is a question that, you know, I get asked and I put into my presentation in the other episode. But, hey, is it a good time to buy rentals in the Springs? Short answer is yes. The caveated answer is it depends on your personal situation. Um, I, I know that answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just kind of what Chris mentioned in, in his state of the market for Denver, um, I think it's really important to kind of really be objective on your own personal financial situation. Um, like he already mentioned, do you have job stability? If not, maybe now is not a great time. Um, You know, wait for things to get a little bit more stable personally. Do you have cash reserves? I'm a huge proponent of having cash reserves. Um, I know, Chris, you mentioned that you're increasing your reserves to nine months. After reading that, I think I might do a similar analysis, but um, we operate like very strictly on a six month um, per property worth of reserves, also six months personal expenses in a separate account. Yeah. Um, and then even with everything going on, we actually opened up a couple of HELOCs just in case. Um, so let me ask you this kind of a, this question. So let's just say 
you know, something bad happened to the property, you know, whatever, just, you know, you, you get the unfortunate curveball in life or market or business. Um, would you dip below six months worth of PITI or would you dip in your line of credit first? Oh, that's a good question. Um, thankfully, we haven't had to actually approach I know, that. I know, one of the what if. Yeah, I would, um, I would go into the six-month PITI really? and then work really hard to put it back I, I think possible. I would actually dip in the line of credit first. Yeah? Yeah, because I, I know from, I don't know what you're doing, like the 2008 meltdown stuff, but I got I got caught in, in that where I, you know, got short on cash in my business back then and like, when I have cash in the bank, I sleep really well at night. Yeah. And I've learned, hey, I saw a lot of people. Fortunate happened to me. It happens. We got some credit card shut off for our business, which no big deal. I mean, it was paying the butt, but nothing major. But I saw a lot of people. Their line of credits vanished overnight, and that just it's it's it, it stuck with me today, and it just scared me. That's really smart. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you live in your own, you take yeah. your black guy. <laughs> so I'm always curious because I see them. Like I, I like that because I, you know, when when COVID first hit and you know March when it became a reality out here in the states, you know, I. You know, went back, all right, let me just sit down and spend two hours on a Friday night and just look through all my financials. Like, cool, everything's got, you know, six, seven months worth of money in there. And I was like, man, but if I, I knew mentally if I drop below six months, my mind shifts from like feeling good and being on the offensive to going like in a very bad defensive mindset. And that six months for me is like a trigger. Like if I dip into it, I go into like hunker down mode. And so I'm always curious what other people thought. So Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, we haven't yeah. dealt with that. But I mean, yeah, it was... It's been an interesting mental exercise for yeah. sure. All right. So obviously like your situation, I'm assuming the same thing. Hey, you guys, hold on the property for five, six, seven years. It's really, really hard to lose money. Same thing, uh, you know, holds to across any market. And seeing the data from the spring, same thing. Are you seeing any red flags for a price drop or a wave of foreclosures in six months? Anything like that? I personally, I, I'm not seeing that. Okay. Um, just because, I mean, it goes back to simple supply and demand. Yeah. Just not enough supply, and there's so much demand that I think things will kind of stay status quo or or increase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're actively out there hunting for a property, right? I am. Yeah. I'm looking for a fourplex. So Why a fourplex? If anyone out there has one, uh, <laughs> basically we're looking for just to be able to maximize um, – our ability to buy using a residential investment loan, okay. which is for property. We'll do a 30-year fix on that? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we'll go into some a fourplex deal analysis in a one or two episodes from now as well. Um, and of course, we always throw this in there. If you guys want to talk your personal situation, I'm happy to talk to you. Jenny's happy to talk to you. We can both talk to you guys as well. Obviously, if you're in Denver, I'll talk with you in Springs. Jenny knows that market or whatever. Reach out to us and we can definitely give you more details and walk you through what it is. Because I think, I was trying to remember, I think, you know, for all, you know, we have a lot of clients, talk to a lot of people. I'd say somewhere between that eight to nine out of 10 people I talk with, it's like, cool, it makes sense for them to move forward and, and buy. And there's like one or two out of 10, it's like, hey, we'd be a little tight on cash reserves or we're in an industry, we're not quite sure what the ripple effect will be. And then they're hanging tight, but I'm, you know, I'm seeing right around eight out of ten people. That's like great, still makes sense to buy in the long term. Mm -hmm. So if you guys have questions, reach out to us. So, oh, here's one of my questions I have a love hate relationship with. So I'm gonna ask you, Jenny. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I get people ask me, you know, and this this comes from bigger pockets. Um, the one percent rule. Are there one percent rule properties in, in the springs? Yes. Really? Yes. Sometimes. Really? Oh, sometimes. Okay. <laughs> so my 
observation on this is uh, probably a couple years ago, we were able to achieve the 1% rule. And explain the 1% rule real fast, sorry. So the 1% rule, um, simple rule of thumb would be $1,000 a month in rent for a $100,000 property. Yep. Um, so you used to be able to find that. Nowadays, every once in a great while, you'll see something that's pretty close to it. Um, but I mean, it gets scooped up. It's few and far between. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, um, I don't think that should dissuade people from still pursuing it. Now, do you actually use a 1% rule in your own deal analysis or underwriting? I do not anymore okay. because just kind of faced with the reality of, of the situation that is just not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Now, the other thing I talked about in my presentation was the 50% rule. And I think this comes from bigger pockets. Um, the 50% rule states that 50% of your income will go towards your operating expenses. And that's your basically all your non-mortgage expenses, your insurance, your taxes, property management, repairs and maintenance, yard work, all that stuff. So since Colorado Springs is a a you know lower rent market compared to Denver, mm -hmm. are you at a 50% OPEX ratio or what's what ratio are you seeing down there? I actually personally use uh, 33%. So really? So you're the same thing up here we're doing? Exactly, yeah. Okay. So what we do is when we collect, um, so all of our um, properties don't have escrowed mortgages. So we'll take the rent minus the principal and interest payment, put it into a pot, take one third of that and move it into um, basically our operating account to pay for when things pop up like that or, you know. Ooh, here's a question that popped in my mind. If you hired a property manager, would that still cover, would that be covering like the 33% rule, do you no, think? No, I'd have to increase it. Okay, yep. so it would go up a little bit more for mm -hmm. PM? Okay. Yep. Um, so you're actually seeing that, so you, you said a really good nugget there where I guess some of your loans are, you know, they're not escrowing your taxes and insurance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for, for usually conventional 30-year loans, that's automatically part of your monthly payment. But you got loans, I'm assuming through like a portfolio lender that don't. Correct. And so you're paying that yourself, you know, twice a year to taxes, once a year to insurance. Mm -hmm. And so you're really seeing a, a, about a third of your rents cover all that stuff, repairs, um, maintenance, and everything? Yes. That's cool. Mm -hmm. um, now, when we are underwriting properties here in Denver, you know, we do it conservatively and realistically. And I know I've seen the stuff you've done, and you do the same thing with your numbers that we'll go through. And probably not this presentation, but um, the future deal analyses, right? Right. Yeah. So... Uh, this is the chart I had up in my presentation yesterday where ran through some high level numbers like, hey, we run vacancy at 5%, even though we're, you know, risky a little bit lower, we do 5%. What do you use down there? I actually use 3% okay. um, for my personal portfolio. Yeah. If I were to use property management, I would probably increase it a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, the range I see people do is, is 3 to 5%, depends how you want to write it. I like to be, hey, I think the long-term median will probably be 5%. Uh, what do PMs charge down there or do you even know? Um, I believe it's about the same okay. as Denver. Mm -hmm. And you use the same, you know, eight re uh, repairs and maintenance, you know, 8 to 10% for attached properties? I do. Okay. Mm -hmm. I use 8% and that was basically, um, I based it off of running it against my own portfolio. I collected all the repairs, maintenance, cleaning, that type of expense. And it came to about 80% of my gross rents, or excuse me, 8% of my gross rents. Good to know. Yep. And is insurance, I don't know if you know this, but is insurance about the same down there as is up here? It's a little bit lower. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So I imagine, so it must be taxes, insurance are lower down, there's essentially lower property values, Correct. which helps with the lower operating. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But I have noticed um, insurance is starting to creep up pretty quickly each year, um, at least 50 to $100 a year more, uh, including shopping it around. Really? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know anything about insurance prices or anything, but I have to imagine it has something to do with a lot of the hail damage that we've been yeah. seeing down there. So I don't know. You guys, I mean, again, from the weather or the you know, headlines, it seems like Colorado Springs is more hail than we do up here. Yeah. Is that yes. accurate headline reading? Very accurate. Yeah. Because okay. I've talked to some insurance agents up here in Denver and they said, yeah, I mean, insurance rates are going because of all the, the hail damage. Yeah. Um, and that's just a matter of life. Yeah. Or, you know, a, a fact of life, I guess. All right. So as we kind of wrap up this presentation, um, let's talk about some opportunities and tips here. Like just walk us through opportunities you see and just some general tips. Okay. Um, so I think that one of the things that I would recommend to investors or those that are looking to invest is to take advantage of the opportunity to stabilize your rental, rental portfolio. Um, so one of those things is to refinance your, your rental properties or your, even your primary, um, not necessarily even taking cash out, just take advantage of the low interest rates that we're seeing um, in this environment. I think that's one opportunity to lower costs pretty easily. If I can interject here, do you know what your interest rate would have been if you just did like a terms only refinance on a cash out? Um, <clears throat> it was actually, we were planning on just doing a rate and term refinance until um, we saw that the lender would give us 75% LTV and we saw how higher the appraisals were and the wheels started turning about so the return on equity. So after the appraisal, you decided to do the, you shift to cash out refi? Yep. So what was the original, do you know what the original interest rate quote was for the terms only? Because you're at 375 mm -hmm. for cash out. It was the same. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because we thought that it was going to go up after we said, oh, can we do a cash out refinance? And they said, sure, we can give you the same cost, same rate. Okay. That didn't have like more point buy down with it? No. Oh, because a lot of times what I see, if it's, you know, if it's a terms only refinance, it's usually a, a lower one. Or you can get the lower one well for cash refi, but you're paying extra point to buy the rate down. Yeah, we were really shocked huh, by okay. that. So it kind of seemed like a no-brainer for our, our goals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so definitely take advantage of the refinance opportunities. Um, I recommend performing upgrades in your property that you know are on the horizon. Uh, maybe you have a furnace that's on the fritz, something like that. I think that by consciously going in and, and improving those things can kind of help you just um, grasp what your overall expense is going to be as opposed to um, not knowing when it's going to break and yeah. you, know, you get a call at midnight $5,000 later that you weren't anticipating, I think can kind of rattle you a little bit more. Um, so that's just kind of my personal recommendation is for that. Is that because of, is that your general recommendation or is that because we're in the COVID crisis right now? M more so because of the COVID crisis, okay. but I think in general, um, just mentally, it's easier for me to grasp things that I know are coming um, opposed to um, not, I yeah. would say. I agree with you there because if you can go, hey, cool, let's out, outlay the cash now to buy. If, you know, if times are good and you still got some cash, hey, outline it or outlay the cash and still keep your six months of the reserves for like true emergencies. Yeah. And then similar to what we've been discussing before, really make sure that you have those savings. I I would say just don't ever waver on that. Um, I, I think that's really important. And then just continue to manage efficiently. Any Anytime you can reduce that 
vacancy, anytime you can keep a tenant in, keep them happy, that's really money in your pocket. Yeah. Um, so then another opportunity I think is to tap into your equity. So very similar to what you mentioned in the Denver state of the market. Um, if you've owned a property, primary rental for just a few years, you're probably sitting on a really good amount of equity. So you could consider a couple of options, taking out a HELOC and reinvesting that, cash out refinance, reinvesting those proceeds, um, or trading up utilizing a 1031 exchange. And so it sounds like you like the the cash out refis versus HELOCs? Yes. Why? Um, because we recently did a HELOC option on a rental property and um, my very basic understanding of that is that I think your credit score looks more favorably towards mortgage debt than um, HELOC debt. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So I noticed a, a, a change in that when we when we, uh, when we did that. Um, and also I think just with the cash out refinance, there's a, a better opportunity to have a 30 year fix as opposed to HELOCs are typically adjustable and they're for a shorter term. That's my biggest reason. Yeah. I just like, hey, I'd, I'd rather, if you if you got a HELOC, you want to do a flip or find a burr or do a short term return. I think HELOCs make sense, but you know, what I do, hey, cool, pull out the money and buy I know the rental property is a down payment. Mm -hmm. I don't like the interest rate risk there. Yeah. So you're getting, I'm curious, so you're getting your refis at 375 for 30-year fixed, and you said you've got a couple HELOCs. What are your current HELOC rates at? Um, I haven't looked recently. And are these on your primary or, or uh, um, investments? So we have one on our primary. Um, I want to say that it was prime plus one, I think. So I have no idea what prime is right now. Yeah, I haven't looked because we haven't tapped into it, thankfully. Okay. So I haven't really looked at it, but... Probably like four or four and a half percent, I'm guessing. And then same for the other one. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like you're, you know, the, the current HELOC rate is probably higher than 30 or fixed. Yep. It's yeah. higher rate, higher Which is risk. Nuts. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah long term debt is probably what I would advocate for in this situation, especially. Now, something you had um, mentioned to me, I think it was the other day when we were prepping for this, was that you were targeting. Uh, rental properties that are six hundred dollars a month in rent or less. Mm -hmm. Why? Um, because the way I think of things is kind of backing into it. So um, the median income in Colorado Springs is sixty thousand dollars for a household. Okay. So I operate off of the three times rent rule when I'm screening yep. tenants. So if we take sixty thousand dollars divided by twelve, divide that by three, we get about sixteen hundred dollars as a, an appropriate rent rate. Um, so if we're looking at it that way, I would presume that you'd capture the majority of the market share. Interesting. Yeah, I've never th thought about that. That's really interesting. Yeah, though. the highest um, rent rate that we have is 1425. Okay. So we like to go a little bit below to capture even more tenant population. Is that to capture more tenant population or maybe more people that'll be uh, more like a renter for life or? For um, all the reasons? All the reasons. I mean, yeah, if you have really increased competition, you're going to get the most qualified tenant for that property. Uh, what about some, just some other things to keep in mind? Sure. So I think what I've noticed over the past couple of years for Colorado Springs is that the rent rate is not increasing as fast as the home value appreciation rate. So just to give everyone some context for that, um, rent prices increased by 4% from 2019 to 2020, 
which is compared to 3% national average, so it's still better than national average. Um, and then home values increased by 7% from that same time period compared to a 4% national average. So if we kind of take that and apply it towards what we're seeing um, in terms of investment properties, a house that was bought for $200,000 in 2019 would be bought for $214,000 in 2020, assuming a 7% price appreciation. So that same house is- Wait, wait, back up. Say that again. So if we were to buy a house in um, 2019, uh, just say bread and butter, two bed, one bath in a certain neighborhood, 200,000, just based on pure price appreciation, that same house would be bought for about 214,000. Oh, the next year. The next year. Okay, I got Mm -hmm. you, okay. And then the same um, houses rent is only increasing by 4% per year. So if we were renting that house for say $1,200 last year, we're renting it for about $1,250 today. So just kind of going into it, I I use um, the gross rent multiplier as kind of a way to- Is that your go-to metric? Actually, no. I think think that it presented this data in the best- in the best form though. What's your go-to metric? Cash on cash? Cash on cash. Okay. Yeah. Um, So basically what I I showed for those of you not looking at the YouTube video is um, uh, a chart of five years and then rent uh, rent rate value of the property and then the gross annual income. And then we took the gross rent multiplier. So basically what that is showing is kind of a payback period using gross rents. Um, compared to the purchase price. So in the year 2019, using those example uh, values, the $1,200 rent rate and a value of a property for 200,000, we have a gross rent multiplier of 13.8. Whereas if we jump to 2023 that year, we have a rent rate of about 1,400, where the value of that property, that same property that we're talking about is about 262K. Yeah. So 15 year payback period or 15 and a half year payback period. So I think it's just kind of important to note that even though um, I still think that it's a good place to invest, the longer you wait, the longer you're losing out to that appreciation that you're seeing. So, you know, as everyone knows, I'm, I'm a cap rate person here. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's just the trends. And I mean, that's the trends in Denver. That's tr- trends in Springs. I think it's the trends in all the country as well. Because, you know, the article that I read just overall, we have a very nationwide housing shortage supply. Um, so I think that's pretty normal. So I just took for your 2019 year, I took your 14400 gross annual income, multiply it by 0.67 to take out the 33% operating expense. Divide by $200,000 in property value, it's a 4.8 cap rate. And then looking at year 2023, we're going to take 16845 times 0.67. Um, divide that by your estimated price of 262 And that, yeah, drops it down to a 4.3 cap rate. So basically, I mean, this, you know, just different way to look at it. I'm a cap rate person. I really don't know GRMs. So... You know, based on that very simplistic modeling and just using the straight line assumptions, we're projecting a half point cap rate compression over the next five years, which sounds absolutely realistic to me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if cap rates compressed more. I don't know springs, but I think in Denver we'll see it more and probably the springs as well. Yeah. I mean, when interest rates are so low, that just fuels more and more buying, which compresses the cap rates. Yep. Um, cool. If you guys want to see this chart, um, it's got just a, looks like an a Excel screenshot from just 2019 to 2023. 
great data to kind of capture what Jenny is saying. And if you want to see all the bullet points and the data that we talked about, go to the blog post. It'll all be out there so you can see it. And always, of course, email me or email Jenny if you've got questions or want you know more details on any market. So to kind of wrap this up, uh, how can we help? Um, so, you know, what I've been telling the people lately, there's there's three main differences about us compared to most agents out there. One is that we are investor, investor-friendly realtors. I used to say only in Denver. Now I could say in the spring is now with you, Jenny, so that's cool. Um, and the vast majority of our transactions are our investment properties and really that the rental property type product. And we do really work as a team is a second reason is a lot of agents are very impressive one person shows. However, we are very team centric where, you know, for myself, I'm really good at three or four things. Jane's very good at a handful of things as well. Then we have team members are really good at other sections as well. So based on the needs, the part of the transaction process, you kind of get, you know, three people working with you, which just makes for a smoother transaction that we've seen. And also it plays everyone's strengths, which just means we get we get more stuff done. Lastly, this is a really cool thing we'll talk a lot more about in future detail. Um, I've mentioned it quite a few times, and now it's coming to fruition, is really putting in a a longer-term financial planning component to real estate, so some type of like real estate investment financial planner or some word we'll come up with. (laughs) Um, But really, hey, great, I'm buying properties, Jenny's buying properties, most people we talk to are buying properties so they can have X amount of cash flow in 10, 20 years down the road. And we have been spending the last couple of weeks uh, with a new team member rounds. We are going through a, building out a very big master spreadsheet to actually put together a very, uh, uh, like a portfolio tracker and help see where you are on track to your goal and help identify opportunities for, hey, your property is mismanaged. You need to do a better job. Or, hey, you're selling a bunch of equity. Let's look at cash out refi or sell and trade up. So we're, we're putting all this stuff in place. If you guys have questions about the market, want to sit down and talk about your investing strategy, want to sit down and review your personal portfolio, reach out to us, go to the website, uh, fill in the form there, or go to the website and email me or Jenny. We're always happy to chat. Jenny, this was awesome. So thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. All right, guys. Well, stay tuned. We will be doing further podcasts after after this. Don't know what order, but a fourplex or a multi-unit in the Springs, a house hack in the Springs, a single family rental in the Springs, and then a Burr case that he did three or four years ago, right? Three years ago, yep. Awesome. All right, we'll see you guys next podcast.